from Giuseppe Verde. Wait a minute, that wasn't Giuseppe Verde. And as you can tell, I'm not Frank Cravello. Welcome to the New World Order of Calcio. I'm your host, Richard Carmen. Frank is off this week. There's no truth to the rumor that Frank is away breaking tasteful things after that Milan performance today. Oh, let's, not, let's talk about it a little bit later though. On today's show, we talk goals from the Derby della Capitale, the Atalanta-Juventus duel, Inter-Napoli, and the rest of Match Week 34. I can't do this alone. And today, in Frank's place, we have 30-year-old Roma sufferer. Definitely after today, he was definitely a sufferer. He's a Swindon Town fan. That's his hometown club. He's been watching Serie A since the mid-90s, and he's been mass- which, when it was massive in the UK. Um, he's a Roma fan for his sins and tries to make it out, of Rome, make it out to Rome for a few games a season. Uh, Serie A sit-down welcomes the two sweet Scott Monroe. Benvenuto, Scott. <laughs> Benvenuto and too sweet back at you. I'm even doing a gesture as well. Thank you for having, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Ah, it's glad to have you on, man. Uh, for those who missed the Derby della Capitale, you can read Scott's review on asroma360.com. Scott, you know, tell us a little about what you got going on these days. I know you write for asroma360. What, what else do you do? Um, I've got my own blog at the moment. I'm, I will be posting that up on the on the social media. Um, I have written about Roma in the past. There's only a couple of pieces, but I haven't written on the, written on the blog for about a good six, seven months. But um, I, I need to update that. So I'll, I'll hopefully have a couple of pieces coming out soon. I've been writing for AS Roma 360 for a couple of years now. This season, um, the, guy, the guy Stefano who runs a website asked me to do like match reviews and match previews and add a few more stats into the games for this season. I've just been helping them out. Very good, nice. Well, hey, when it comes out, let us know. We'll, you know, we'll retweet it for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, sure. It, it'd probably be in the next couple of weeks. I've got one lined up about my hometown club because they, they got relegated to the fourth fourth tier of yeah. uh, English football. Tim Sherwood, huh? Yeah, oh, he's ruined that club. And then hopefully one about Luciano Spalletti in the next couple of weeks. Oh man, hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be some good news by by then for uh, for Roma. So we'll see, huh? <laughs> Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. They can uh, the next four games will be a bit crucial and get second place in Champions League football. There we go. All right. Well, let's get on to this. There's three big games this uh, this weekend amongst the, amongst the rest. Um, you know, you had Atalanta Juventus, which was Friday night. The Derby della Capitale, which is today, and then Inter Napoli. Uh, we'll start off with Atlanta Juventus. Uh, you know, Juventus came out today with the lineup, or on Friday with the strongest lineup. You know, they're they're looking to build confidence. Before their midweek encounter with uh, with Monaco in Champions League, um, Atalanta, they're playing host, you know. They're hoping to play spoilers. You know, Andrea Conti began the scoring just before halftime. Um, a shock result looked in order. You know, a shock result looked when, when he scored. It was one nothing. Um, you know, Juventus like, well, what's going on here, you know. But that goal, all it did was awake the sleeping giant, or awake the giants, you know. And uh, a dangerous free kick by Mirlan Pjanic found its way to Leonardo Spinazzola's head for a fantastic goal. 
One problem, though, uh, it was an own goal. That goal leveled the matchup, and Juve continued to assert themselves in the matchup, flexing their muscles. Um, and then in the 83rd minute, Dani Alves scored. Cross di Pjanic, Dani Alves, il gol del vantaggio, passa in vantaggio la Juventus, il gol di Dani Alves. And that gave the Bianconeri the lead, and the victory seemed all but certain. I mean, it's seven minutes to go in the game, Juventus should win this, right? Ooh, well Gasparini's men, they've been known not to give up, and the 89th minute, Remo Froler popped up. Attenzione, ancora Froiler, Froiler, il 2 a 2, ha pareggiato l'Atalanta, ha pareggiato Froiler, 2 a 2 tra Atalanta e Juventus, a 2 minuti dalla fine. That goal saw both teams come away with a point and left Juventini fans wondering, how the heck did they lose the three points? Scott, was this a case of Atalanta coming to play or Juventus caught looking ahead to Monaco? Um, I think maybe a bit of both. I think Atalanta knew they were never out of this game. Um, it was a pretty much a lucky break for the uh, the equaliser because um, Miranem Pjanic and Stefan Licksteiner done a lovely collision, and, and, the, <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the ball just fell to uh, Romo Romo Freuler. Sorry, yeah. and then um, it was a bit of a, a goal goal mouth scramble, and then it just popped over line. Um, about the game, it was a bit of a tale of two halves, as you said. Atalanta came out and they, they looked a lot the good side. They came out and attacked Juventus. Juventus looked a bit shell-shocked and they were all over the place. And then cracking goal, cracking cross for the goal from um, Papu Gomez for Conte at the back post. Right on half-time, which is like the perfect time to score. Yeah. Demoralising for the team who goes Yeah, down. Yeah, because it gives you all the confidence. But if you go 1-0 down right on half-time, you just feel deflated and you've got nothing... Pretty much to play for, but cracking comeback by you by Juve. Great ball in by Pjanic for the free kick. Unlucky about Spinazzola. I know he's a Juve player, and I know people going on social media going, "Oh, is that a conspiracy theory?" <laughs> no, it's just, it was just a cracking header, and then another cracking ball in from Pjanic again to Danny Alves at the back post. Brilliant ghost and header. Alves didn't play well at all in that game, and then. Um, it was a never say die attitude by Atalanta, and I think I celebrated. I think most of most of uh, Serie A fans celebrated as well, and Freud bundled the ball in. But you could see that if Juventus were more ahead in Serie A, you'd probably see them if they rested a few players. I know the Monaco game is going to be absolutely massive on Wednesday night. Yeah, it is. But I could see why they started up with a full strength squad because you play the game in front of you you don't play the game like four days ahead that game if they won that title was, was all sewed up in in Atalanta you know and, and Gasparino he just is just, Gasparino the way he has he play, his teams play they never do give up um, he's he's a miracle worker when it comes to you know not having the most talent but getting the most out of his players um, you know there's a big speculation this, this off season coming up that He's going to lose a lot of his guys, and for, for you know, rightly so. They've played spectacular this year. Atalanta's come out of nowhere, um, kind of like you know, Ibar in, in La Liga, and so teams are going to be picking picking their talent up. So, but you know, Gasparini, what he does is when he loses his players, he just finds other players to take their place and continue on. He did this at Genoa, and he's doing it. He's going to do this at Atalanta. So I have no fear there. Um, you know, talk a little bit about like the role Gasparini plays on. You know his effect on the guys, and you know, you know when they play big teams like Juventus and Roma, 
to never have that fear to just you know take them on one on one, not to make it look any worse than it is. Yeah, yeah, you could see that in because I watched the Roma game after um, I came back off holiday, and they bossed the Roma game in the first half. They just play without any fear. They know what they have to do. They've got their tactics set up. They play this um, attack-minded three-four-three, or on Friday night they play three-four-two-one with Gomez as a false nine, and then Andrea Pitania, who reminds me a lot of Marco Borriello. Yeah, because I remember Borriello did was it with Gasparini at Genoa. I, I, if I can remember, um, it just it's it's just simple what they do. They've got a young, hungry squad, and they've got players who played in Serie A before, like Rafael Toloi. I saw him at Roma a couple of years ago, and he he didn't look the the type of player that Roma needed at that time. But Roma could have used him for the season after as like a backup player. But this season, he's been an absolute beast in the defence. A uh, Conte on the right side. Uh, I know they lost Gagliardini, but they've got Romo Freudo as a, as a nice, handy backup. Gomez, I know, he's, I think he's just about to turn the same, same age as me in, in, <laughs> at the end of the season, 30. Yeah, yeah. You're hitting, you're hitting your peak. I know a lot of clubs are in for him. I think if he stays at that club, at Atalanta, he could build up build them and to take them up to the next level because I know Atalanta are going to use a lot uh, I won't say a lot they'll probably lose about three to four players they'll lose Caldara they'll lose Conte uh, they'll probably use lose Froiler and they'll probably lose Kese Kese yeah, came on off the good. benches yeah I know Milan and Roma are after him I would love him at Roma but I know there's there's differences in the salaries or what what is reported, what is going on. It's just a never say die attitude from Atalanta, and Gasparini's got them playing attacking football. I know people saying on um, social media on Twitter saying that they are the new Sassuolo. That yeah. is quite that is quite harsh because Sassuolo didn't really buy anyone in the, in the summer, and they had to find themselves on three platforms and it really hit them hard and that's when the the Serie A form struggled with the injuries and playing Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday and probably Sunday, Wednesday as well in the midweek round of fixtures it it hampered them I just hope it doesn't happen to Atalanta because they've got a good squad and plus their youth academy in the past 10 years the, the amount of players they've brought out is fantastic Yeah, and like you said you know, when you make the next step to Europa League in this case uh, with Sassuolo, they didn't they didn't purchase anybody, and and you know as you as the schedule gets harder, you know you're playing midweek plus the weekend. You need to have more bodies than what you currently than your starting eleven because, you know you can't play your starters all every game. There's no it's it's impossible. Those guys are gonna get drained, um, and it showed with Sassuolo this season. So if uh, you know if Atalanta can hold on to this Europa League spot, which it looks like as of right now, um, you hope their buyers you know they're gonna obviously lose some guys, but hopefully they buy some some more players. For for the bench, so when you know when they do play midweek games, they can rotate that squad a little bit, you know, keep them fresh. Couldn't agree more. Like the more depth in your squad, it more it helps with like team morale and other bits in your team as well. Because if you get guys injured, you're going to be bad, down to the bare bones, and you're going to be struggling. Exactly, one or two injuries, and it'll set your it'll set your season, to, you know, on the rails. And plus with suspension as well, if you pick up like couple of players picking up five yellow cards and a couple of reds yeah. it just ruined it just ruined you yeah you get no momentum to gel you know nothing like that 
Now let's let's turn it back a little bit over to Juve. Um, do you see this result as a negative for the Juve defense, or is this just a blip? Um, I don't really see it as either. I think it's a bit of a positive because teams have struggled going to Atalanta. Rome has struggled. Right. Napoli, Napoli has struggled. And to come out of that with a point, it's probably a point gain instead of two points dropped. I know they, they lost the they lost an early lead and they had they blew away a lead tw- uh, not not twice but at, at the end but you can see it as a point gain it's it's a tough tough ground to go to definitely definitely all right well let's move on to the uh, the game that I know you were looking forward to the derby della capitale um, i was i was but not now <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, Roma came out, you know, they came out with Chesney, Emerson, Fazio, Manolas, Rudiger, Nayangolan, De Rossi, Strutman, uh, Steven Al-Sharawi, Edin Dzeko, and Mohamed Salah. Lazio's starting 11 had Strakosha, excuse me, Wallace, De Vrij, Bastos, Milinkovic, Savic, Bilia, Parolo, Basta, Lukaku, Lulic, and Keita. Now, there's a name missing from that starting 11, and that was Chiri Immobile. He picked up an injury in warm-ups. Uh, which forced Nzagi to play, you know, Keita up top as the main striker. Um, you know, when, when you see this injury in warm-up, you know, as a Lazio fan, that's got to worry you. Obviously, you're not a Lazio fan, but if you are if you were supporting Lazio, you got to be worried that, you know, your your top guy is out. As a, Roma, as a Roma fan watching this, you're probably thinking, well, here we go. Here's our opportunity. That wasn't the case with Lazio, huh? They kind of, they kind of, it was a call that as a rallying cry and kind of that helped them out this game, didn't it? It did indeed. It, it caused, um, excuse me, sorry, um, Simone Inzaghi to change his tactics. I because th- he's been playing a couple of tactics. He normally goes four three three or a three man defence with, him, and then pack the midfield and play someone linking up with a Marbella or Keita Balde, who's been in fantastic form in the last couple of weeks, and it it boosted them. They didn't need a Marbella. It wasn't it was an injury. I think it was just a fever. So. He was fit enough to go on the bench, but Lazio just bossed that game. As a Roma fan, it was it was quite bad to see see how much and how bad and disjointed they play, and um, it was just it was painful. Ten minutes it started, it was pretty well, and then the next eighty was just rancid. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's just like big big players from the, the Roma team went missing. The tactics. Weren't weren't good. I know Spalletti likes to play either a three-man defense and go three-four-three, or his hybrid of a four-three-three, which sort of goes into a four-two-three-one, and then nine Galan pushing up forward. But that didn't work. Um, Lastly, it packed the midfield and tried to hit Roma on the counter. And when you've got a speedy striker like Keita Balde, it was frightening. How many times Lazio got the ball to him? Um, to Lulic and to Milinkovic-Savic and then they broke with so much pace and with so much ease. Roma defence was just at sixes and sevens and the amount of times they just got past them with ease. You could see it with the first goal. The, uh, Fazio and Emerson didn't react to Bal- Keita Balde when he got the ball and it was a nutmeg through Emerson's legs for the goal and for Roma's goal. <laughs> I don't know if you agree with me, Rich. That was never a penalty. Yeah, that, that was a little uh, that was a little dodgy there. <laughs> I gotta agree with that. A, a little bit dodgy. That was a horrible dive. Um, <laughs> Stru- was it was Strutman went under the challenge, or was it Bastos or Wallace? I can't. It was one of the two, and it it, it was a horrible dive. Yeah. And then 
De Rossi scored the penalty and then celebrated in front of the Lazio fans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then Roma like changed their tactics and went for a 3-4-3, which I, I was crying out for. And a, a couple of guys on Twitter who I follow was also crying out for. I know John Solano was was, um, was saying the change of tactics. Yeah. And that didn't work either because... Lazio scored two, uh, didn't score two, they scored a, a goal early on in the second half. Bit of a deflected effort from Basta. And then Roma again changed tactics, brought on Totti for the last 20 minutes, and they just got sounded out. They tried to, they were a bit too lethargic with their play, um, and it cost them. Lazio went up the other end and scored on the counter attack, and then Antonio Rudiger got himself stupidly sent off. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you pretty much summed up the highlights there. We're going to go through them real quick for so everyone else can, uh, if they didn't catch any of that. Uh, you know, Keita Bale started the score in the 12th minute. You know, Roma, as we just said, you know, was awarded a dodgy penalty for a clear dive. But, hey, if ref calls it, what are you going to do? Uh, Daniel De Rossi calmly, you know, converted it, leveled the matchup, celebrated it in front of the Lazio fans. Uh, Dusan Basta would give Lazio the lead five minutes into the second half. And though Roma had more possession, uh, it seemed to, they seemed to stifle Edin Dzeko in that Roma attack for the you know for the remainder of the match. Uh, pressure pressure was on Lazio to keep that goal advantage up until this. Lulic, Lulic porta palla, Lulic la serve per Keita. Keita Balde chiude probabilmente il derby di Roma con il gol del 3-1. That man Keita Balde, as you said, popped up again late. Got his brace, and that gave Lazio the two-goal advantage. And as you said, you know, you clearly alluded to Antonio Rudiger got took a stupid foul and got a straight red. Salta di testa di nuovo Parolo, poi un fallo e un altro cartellino rosso. Cartellino rosso. Um, fouled Felipe. It was a Felipe Georgievic, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, substitute Georgievic. Yes. Yeah, it was a bit of a naughty challenge, and it shows that uh, not on the red card, but. Inzaghi's tactically outclassed Spalletti for like the third game in a row now. Yeah, yeah, you took the um, Coppa Italia matchups plus this. Uh, it's uh, three. That's three games. He's, he's been far superior to Spalletti. Um, and with that Derby win, you know Simone Inzaghi's men pulled to within four points of Napoli before you know obviously the Inter Napoli matchup. Um, so like you said, um, how spot on was Inzaghi? I mean, he had this. It was a, he's a perfect 10 as far as tactics go. Oh, yeah, spot on. Um, I know the injury to Jordan Lukaku probably hindered at the end of the first half, but Felipe Anderson came on in his place and um, slotted in very nicely. They just sat back and just every time Roma tried to attack and got the ball, they had like three, two, three players around them, man-marking them and just pressing high and um, just uh, feed the ball to the wingers and try to get it to cater Balde as quick as possible to to run at the Roman defence. I think, I know cater Balde will probably get all the plaudits, but Lucas Billy in front of the defence was absolutely fantastic. He would just yeah, win the ball yeah. and just uh, feed the uh, the other midfielders. And all three centre-backs for Lazio just were fantastic. They didn't give any of the Roman attackers any space at all. And as you said, Ed and Dzeko just got man out of the game. This is what Two, three games in a row now that Jekyll hasn't scored. I know last week he was pissed off when he got subbed off. This week, you know, he didn't get a goal again. 
Are, is there any worry there with you that you know? Obviously, when he's not scoring, the team's not playing right. They, I mean, they obviously have enough scorers, you know, that they can play. But when he's not scoring, he's your workhorse. And the team suffers when he, he doesn't score. Yeah, he's the target man. He's the focal point for the attacks. Everything like they try to feed him and get the runners to go for him to like Nangalan, Salah, yeah. like um, Strootman. It, it, when he doesn't fire, other players fired like Salah last week. It's no big deal, but if I would love to him just to put him about, put himself about a bit more against the the, the Lazio defenders, just like bully him a little bit. But that didn't happen. It, he was showing a bit of last season form. It's nothing to worry about. If he can get a goal, hopefully against AC Milan next week or the week after against Juve, it, it'll be fine. Well, like you said, you know. Roma have a tough next two games. They have Milan and they also have Juventus. Um, did you guys uh, piss somebody off at the Syria office that they got these three games in a row scheduled? Yeah, yeah. It's the same before Christmas as well. Yeah. When Roma had that that rancid uh, schedule with that in the Europa League, I know it's it's like big game after big game after big game. Uh, it's the, and the end of season feel to it. Hopefully, if Roma pick their the right team and tactics will be a, a nice easy win next week so like you said you know this is the third time Spalletti has been outmanaged by Simone Inzaghi um it seems that it's something I mean while yes you know Roma's been playing very well this season under Spalletti do you what do you see do you see do you see him staying do you think it's time for him to move on I mean yes you know like I said Roma is playing well but they, as the season went on, they started getting their hiccups, and Juve started pulling away just slowly, a little bit more, a little bit more. Uh, what do you feel about that? Yeah, it doesn't help when Napoli's uh, gunning down on you, on you as well. I think, and probably other people think as well. I think it may be a time for a change. Um, in the last month or two, you've probably seen it, like in February and March where Roman went out of the Coppa Italia Europa League and then lost to Napoli in the space of like two weeks things have like changed and Spalletti looks like properly frustrated on the touchline man with no ideas yeah you you see he's trying he's changed his tactics three times a day Um, in other games it's been like weird team selections because he dropped the 3-4-3 and I think that was working fine and went back to his favourite 4-2-3-1 and that hasn't really worked I think fresh ideas and a, I know Roma fans will say is a new project just to see who 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 Monchi will bring in in the summer I know people have been talking about Unai Emery but I think Monchi will have his own ideas who he will bring in Monchi's have done has done wonders over at Sevilla, so I mean this is a this is actually a great signing by you guys to get Monchi. Uh, it's, I mean, obviously he has to adjust to the Italian game and see what he can do, but it's, it can only be a good things for you guys. Oh yeah, I can't wait. He's worked wonders at Sevilla. I, it's probably a different mindset and a different club he's at. Roma's probably got a, a I wouldn't say a lot, a bit more money. Um, Monchi's like found absolute gems in South America. Yeah. Bought him for nothing, and then sold him to massive clubs in Spain and in, and across Europe for absolute mountains of money. The list of players he's bought, I probably won't reel enough because you'd be here all night. Um, but <laughs> he, but yeah, just I'm I'm 
eager and keen to see what he works with and the type of players that Roma need for next season. Well, you kind of alluded to Napoli there. You know, Inter played Napoli today. That was the that was the headliner of the evening. Um, Inter came to the matchup looking to shake off a five-game winless streak, while Napoli look were, were looking to distance themselves from fourth place uh, Lazio, and who were actually keeping pace with them win for win, all while trying to catch Roma for second place. Uh, this match had as much hype as the other two we talked about today. It was third place Napoli against seventh place Inter. You know the match started out fairly even, though Napoli looked the far more dangerous squad. Uh, with halftime approaching, Lorenzo Insigne lofted a deft pass over Inter defense, just past the outstretched five foot two Yuto Nagatomo uh, to a wide open Jose Callejon. Lungo per Murillo, Nagatomo prolunga Spagna e c'è gol. Callejon su assist di Nagatomo, Napoli in vantaggio. That goal gave the visitors the lead they would not relinquish. Unfortunately for all of us as fans, that was the last goal of the match too, as Samir Handanovic, or as Interisti fans have come to call him, Batmanovic, Batmanovic, I don't know how they say it, uh, he made save after save to keep his inter squad in the match. All in all, it was a dull match for Inter, as they saw, as Napoli saw a comfortable win. You know, talk about what Napoli were able to do to make, you know, this is, this, this is an Inter squad that's very, very, you know, a very potent attack. But they looked, they looked out of it today. They didn't look like they had any interest in it. This is all Napoli, though, right? Yeah, without a doubt. Inter looked clueless, and they looked a bit flat in the like in the midfield. Napoli just, well, they played with a handbrake. I was going to say they played pretty well, but they didn't really have to get out of second gear. They just played with the handbrake on. I know, I know. You said about Handanovic. He pulled off like two, maybe three fantastic saves in the second half yeah, to keep Inter yeah. in, in the game. I think the save was it maybe on Insigne and Mertens, the double save. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we just clawed out of thin air. Um, Inter just looked like playing. They're playing within themselves and like look to. They looked a bit too defensive. I know they conceded five goals last week. That was a freak game last week against Fiorentina. Yeah. He scored four goals. Four goals away from home. You don't come out with a win or a point. They just look a little bit lost. Maybe the derby just after the international break. I was uh, sorry during the uh, Easter Easter break yes. probably um, hindered them as well. They were tuning up with about 10-15 minutes to go, and then that, that goal in the seventh minute valley time was a bit of a killer. But you could see it coming because Milan were the better side. Um, Inter played like the away side this evening. Napoli had all the possession and all the opportunities, and they played like the home side and. They had no problems at all. Napoli, they just played within themselves and they didn't really have to change anything. But Inter, they I would be a bit worried if I was an Inter fan. That's, was it five, maybe six defeats in a in Not defeats, six games without a win. Yes, yeah, six and, games. Um, maybe fourth place was within their reach. Now it could be a lot worse because Milan are, are slightly ahead of them. Atalanta are they probably won't catch Atalanta or Lazio now. It's probably between them and Milan. So it's a Milan derby for sixth place now. And uh, with all that Chinese money, they need to invest it heavily for next season because it could be another barren season again. Yeah, as of right now, as it stands, interesting uh, three points behind Milan for that last uh, Europa League spot. Um, Atalanta is at 64, while in, while Inter is at 56, so that's eight points right there. 
And then Lazio is even three points further than that. So I don't think fourth place is going to be caught by anyone but other than Atalanta, potentially. Um, so right now, like I agree with you, it's between uh, the two Milan clubs and even Fiorentina, if they can get their, their act together with you know so many games remaining. I doubt you'll see that. Fiorentina just gone miles off this season. It's, it's that second season syndrome with Souza. We'll probably talk about it later. But yeah, they look a little bit lost. Um, can I just um, talk about... Um, Napoli's midfield. Please I think do. that was the, I think that was the game changer today. I was watching it. I was listening to um, a couple of football podcasts while watching the game because sometimes uh, the English commentary on the games is a bit not the greatest. They co- tend to make a few mistakes. And it's, it's not very good. So I was watching watching it with uh, without with like mute button on, and um, DIY. Diawara, sorry, and um, Zielinski and Hamzik were just tremendous in that midfield. Diawara is an unsung hero in that Napoli midfield. Yes, I agree. He's, he's only 19, and I only wish Roma paid the money for him instead of Paredes. <laughs> yeah, I know I know other people have, have said it as well in the past, but yeah, if only Roma spent that money on Diwara because he just—he's he's nineteen. He looks like he's been playing for about ten years. Yeah, and he's such an excellent player. And that in that combination between him, Zelinski, and Hamsik, they're playing like one-touch passing today. And there's one play where Zelinski passed it over everybody to Hamsik, who gave it back to Zelinski, who chipped it to Lorenzo Insigne. He almost had a fantastic goal. Um, they just—they have that chemistry with each other, those three players, and it seems like. Like you said, they've been playing together for 10 years. Diawara doesn't look 19. Zelensky doesn't look 20 or whatever old he is. Um, and they even got Marco Rogue, who's also another talent. And he's, what, 20 years old as well? I mean, uh, Napoli's going to have... Uh, they have some talent for the for, for the future here with and with Hamshik, their talisman. Um, yeah, they're they're going to be challenging for Scudetto for, for several years now, for the next few years. So Especially again, no. in that... Sorry, sorry, Richard. Oh. Sorry to cut you off. Especially in that system that Sari plays. It's like a... The fluid four-three-three system, yes. where everyone's very comfortable on the ball, and they interchange very quickly. At one point, you'll probably see Zielinski as a defensive midfielder, and at one point, you'll see Mertens drift up to a wide right, and that will bring Insigne in from the left to go into the centre-forward role. It's very fluid. It's very quick, and it, it scares teams. It's the, them and probably Monaco and probably Real Madrid play the most exciting brand of football in Europe this season and I hope and probably other people hope as well including yourself they play it for the next couple of seasons and challenge on Europe and hopefully Serie A as well yeah so someone's got to break up the Juventus monopoly of anybody somebody anybody (laughs) yeah (laughs) I, I don't want it to be 10 in a row yeah right well, I mean, like you said, the, the first key was to sign Insigne, which they did. Uh, Mertens will be a little tricky because, you know, as we know, it's not about up to him. It's like, as uh, as the president says, it's up to uh, his wife who holds all the cards there. Um, Milik, you want him to come back and be performing, you know, to his potential like he was at the beginning of the season. So, I mean, if everyone stays and they added maybe a couple more pieces, they, they could be a team to really challenge Juventus here here on out. Couldn't agree more. Just a, a couple of players add to to the cog of the wheel, and that'd be good to go. Yeah, I heard something on uh, Mertens. His wife, I think she wants to move to Milan, so Inter Milan could be on the agenda for Dries Mertens next season, which could be interesting. They have enough money that she can just fly out there. What the heck? <laughs> I know. It's that they just throw money at. Yeah, it's not not 
a long flight, is it? Naples to Milan? No, it can't be. No, probably just a couple of hours on the on the plane. At most, I, I would guess it'd be like an hour, maybe. Yeah, probably like a a, a hour trans- and a half or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She'll be fine. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, Napoli with this win, much to your dem- demise, it's uh, they're now within one point of second place Roma. Can your Roma hold off this potent Napoli squad? You, pro- you probably asked me on Twitter in about two weeks and Roma have got that horrible two yeah. games where they were away at Milan and home to Juventus. Um, if Roma cock up in those two games and Napoli win in the next two weeks, second place is theirs because I can't see I can't see Roma winning all four. It'd be brilliant if they did, but I can't. I can see Roma dropping points and Napoli capitalizing on it. So let's look at these next two weeks. You know, you said Roma have um, they have Milan and they have Juventus. What results do you have? Do you want? Do you think uh, Roma can get away with to keep second place from from Napoli? Um, ideally, six points, but I can see four points. Maybe, probably a draw next week. And I know Juventus are probably thinking about the Monaco game and maybe the Coppa Italia final against Lazio. Roma always tends to win against the big clubs at home. Juventus, they've beaten them a couple of times in the last couple of years. And I was at a certain game a couple of years ago and I thought Roma would actually win it and do well. But um, Juventus nabbed one in the last minute, didn't they? Um, But last season, Roma did well against Juventus at home. I hopefully, for... It won't be six. You know, it's probably be, it probably be two. It probably two or one, but hopefully four points. <laughs> uh, oh well, you know, we talked about that. You know, we talked about Napoli being within one point of Roma now. With this win, you know, this is only the second time Napoli have won both Serie A away games at Inter and at AC Milan in a single season. This is the first time since nineteen thirty-two, thirty-three. That's uh, that says something more about the Milan clubs than it does for Napoli, don't you think? Yeah, the demise of the Milan clubs has been a bit scary in the last few years, and you can tell where where clubs, mid-table clubs, go to both teams, and they're not scared like they were about ten, twelve years ago when both teams, sorry, hey. both Milan, both Milan clubs are winning scudettos. I mean, look at the both bottom feeders yet. Crotone and Empoli both getting wins, you know. Well, Crotone got a home win against Inter, um, but you know, Empoli went to Milan and beat AC Milan at home, so at you know, at their home. So, every, every it's they're not as, as invincible as they used to be. No, it's just a name now. Um, it's yeah. everything's in the past. I know you you probably agree because you're a Milan fan. It's not been a good few years for Milan, and it probably hasn't been a good five or six years for Inter. Like the money went from both clubs and they had to sell their best players and live off the past and other clubs like Juventus, Roma and Napoli have taken over. Yeah. Exactly. And and that's we'll see with the you know with the both teams have new ownership now, whether they can, you know, they can rise again. But, you know, if things just stay the way they are, you know, I think Napoli's gonna do it again next season and get another two wins, you know, at Milan. So, you know, We'll see. You know, Napoli is a strong team. I mean, even if the Milan teams do get better, and Nap- if not, as long as Napoli stays together, they're they're a unit. Um, they're going to be beating a lot of teams. You know, home uh, home and away. So uh, they're very dangerous. You know, they're one of the most entertaining teams in the in the in Europe and in the world, like you said. Um, 
And here's another little fact. Jose Callejon has scored four goals in eight league games against Inter, his best tally in Serie A. So Inter are his favorite opponent. Uh, both stats come via Opta Sports. So thank you for that. Well, that's those are the three big games. Let's move on to the rest of Match Week 34. Alrighty, look if all right, so Saturday we had only one game. It was Torino one, Sampdoria one. If you haven't jumped on the Patrick Schick bandwagon, there's still time. Tentativo di Schick col piattone, palla in porta, il vantaggio del Doria con l'undicesimo gol in campionato di Patrick Schick. Patrick Schick started the scoring for Sampdoria with that sensational long-range bomb. Juani Turbe, that's a name you're familiar with, isn't it, Scott? Yes, indeedy. The flop from Verona to Roma. Now he's on his second line spell from Roma. He equalized for Il Toro. Uh, Balotti was held scoreless once again. Scott, let's talk about this guy, Patrick Schick. Uh, here at Syria Sit Down, we, uh, we have a little man crush on him. Talk about uh, how I, sensational this guy is. I could probably add to that man crush. Um, he's <laughs> fantastic. He's... He's come to take Serie A by storm in the last six six months. I saw him uh, against Lazio, uh, I would say, just before Christmas, and he started this goal-scoring bandwagon. Uh, I know Sampdoria took a lot of stick on their social media page uh, last weekend when they, uh, they tweeted out uh, his goal against uh, Crotone, and they said it reminded them of Dennis Bergkamp with the flick over the oh, defender. Yeah. <laughs> they took a bit of stick. It's, it was a joke. It, it's it's uh, a bit of banter on their social media page, but yeah, he's um, he's he's turning heads, and a, a lot of people here in the UK have been talking about it, like a, a few pundits and the commentators as well who commentate on Serie A and other leagues as well have been talking about him. Um, I know he has a, a 25 million euros release clause for him and for for Sampdoria. I really hope they sort his contract out because. I don't want him to go to another club and then be lost in the shuffle. Yeah. If like someone like Juve or Inter or some like Atletico Madrid, I know I spoke to Gav about it, La Liga Gav on Twitter. Um, he said that he it'd be ideal if he stays in Serie A, and I tend to agree with him. But I would love to see him stay at Sampdoria and work with Gianpaolo because um, that Sampdoria team at the moment is looking quite good. They got a very Good midfield. They got young, hungry players like uh, Terrera, Linetti, uh, Dennis Pratt, Bruno yeah. Fernandez, yeah. and they got Lewis Lewis Muriel up front, who's always going to cause you problems. And they've got um, seasoned veteran Fabio Qualiarella, sixty-year-old Qualiarella, <laughs> yeah, sixty. I would say fifty-five. Okay, but yeah, but he's uh, he's chipping in as well. I'm just, I really just hope he stays at Sampdoria because he is a talent and I and I know that Roma again were in for him last summer and they failed and that, that, that could have been another player to add to the squad but yeah he's he's so good he's so elegant and he just glides past players and he is going to be a superstar in the next couple of years it's got to say something that you know people in the UK now are starting to notice Patrick Schick because it seems like you guys just started noticing Dybala, and we've known him at Serie A for a long time, you know, with, you know, Palermo and uh, getting all his goals, and obviously now with Juve. 
Um, so the fact that you know he's only 20 years old and people, other people from other other leagues are starting to notice him is a is a big thing. I mean, there's a lot of people comparing comparing him. I know we are to like Zlatan Ibrahimovic when he was at Ajax. He has a very smooth, elegant way. He has lots of moves. He can score. Um, he's just is just joy to watch. Couldn't agree more. Um, I remember Dybala, his first stint with Palermo when he was in Serie A. It was only a, like a six-month stint. And then he went to Serie B. And then that second year... Oh, no, sorry. That third year with them when Serie A was fantastic. I know I get... I see a lot of tweets saying that why doesn't an English club afford him? They probably can't because there's only, only one club that will probably go for Dybala and that will be Barcelona yeah. in the next next couple of years. Um, when Dybala scored those two goals against uh, Barcelona, I think Gary Lineker and, and others were praising him. But we've seen him, as you said, if you watch Serie A, you'll probably see him in the last couple of years tearing it apart it's, it's going to be it's going to be the same with Schick. Schick is another product of young players who who are uh, I would say at a right club, not like a big club, but like a middle club where they can excel. And I think maybe in the next couple of years you'll probably see him at a top club, and then you probably see him progress further in his development. Absolutely. So uh, he's definitely a player that we're, we're going to keep on our radar for a long time, and hopefully uh, his potential gets you know gets to the max, and uh, we see what really how special a guy this guy can become. Um, moving on to the Bologna Udinese matches. Bologna four, Udinese zero. Matteo Destro. Verdi taglia il campo, imbucata per Destro, Destro davanti a Carnesis, il pallone passa, doppietta per Mattia Destro. Led the way for Bologna with a brace. Safir Tader also scored in an own goal by Danilo. Rounded out the scoring. Udinese left reeling. Um, yeah, you know, Matteo Destro, he's another one of those guys who, you know, we've talked about several times that when he goes to a big club, he doesn't seem to perform. You know, at Roma and Milan, he didn't really do much. But, at the, you know, it seems to find he's found his place here at Bologna. He's, he's scoring goals now again. Uh, it's, it's really good to see. Don't you think? Yeah, he's a striker who I actually quite liked when he was at Roma. So when he had his chance, he he took it really well, especially uh, in his first season under Rudy Garcia. But as you as you said, if um, he, I think he's probably at the right club with Destro, it's tough to see because I know he flopped at Milan. He wasn't really at the right. His mindset wasn't right. I could see. Uh, it's a, Roma sort of pissed him off because Rudy Garcia, like the season before, would start him left, right, and centre. Then season after, he didn't really start him, and I know that annoyed that annoyed me actually. But Bologna, it was the right move for him, and I know I think he's club captain now, and I know he's had a couple of injuries. It's it's not a bad squad for him, and hopefully. He hopefully can have that one last big move for him. Yeah, I mean, playing at playing at a smaller club, it can only do it can only do good things for you because you know you're not you're not in the media attention all the time. You're able to focus on your game, get better as a player, and, and if you do want to move on, you know that's like that's a perfect place to 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 hone your skills and then move on if you if you want. Couldn't couldn't agree more. It's like 
um, if you start away at a big club and you're thrown into a deep end and you don't do well, it dents your confidence. And um, if that happens like a smaller club, they can help you um, develop into the player that you they want you to be. And you, you're given extra responsibilities. I think, as I said earlier, he's the club captain. He's he scored a brace today. I know he got quite a few goals last season. He's always scores against his old teams. He always scores against Roman like he did last season. <laughs> uh, oh, that, that pen, that late, that it was a late penalty. But um, they got the right type of players with him. Plus, Donadoni's a, a really good coach with the right system. He's a good player. Yeah, it seems like Donadoni's finally shaking away his uh, his uh, his uh, Azuri, you know, flop that he had over there. You know, he is a good manager, and you hope that he's also going to get another chance to play to to manage at a bigger club. So, um, hopefully, you know, he can keep Bologna going the way they are, and then he can get a he can get a call up to even a bigger squad later on. Right, we're going to move on to Cagliari one, Pescara zero. There was another penalty in this game for Cagliari, but no, it was not Marco Borriello. Sul pallone parte Gio Pedro, il destro e rete, il vantaggio del Cagliari. Ancora Gio Pedro. Gio Pedro stepped up and scored to give the long goal of the match. Um, not much news to say about this match other than the victory seals uh, Cagliari's fate for this season and they're definitely not going to get relegated. Uh, it was never going to be a worry with the three teams at the bottom, but... Uh, they've actually secured it now to make it official that there's no chance they're going to be relegated this season. Can I add something about what happened in this game? I don't know if this has been reported in the US. Please do. But but um, Sully Montari actually walked off the pitch. Yes, I forgot about that. Um, he got racially abused and then he went to tell the referee who booked him for his, his furious through protesting. And then I think this happened just before half time. And then it happened again in the second half, and then he walked off. When it happened first in the in the first half, he actually took his shirt off and gave it to a young child who was sitting with his father in the in the calorie end. And then nothing happened with it. And then Zenek Zeman came out in the press and just like vilified the referee and the crowd. And I think he vilified Serie A as well because it it's like racism. It's it's 2017, guys. There's no need for it. Yeah, no, no. I remember seeing that, and I'm like thinking, God, this is you know, you you think you're hoping one day that people could you know become bigger and not do this kind of shit. Part of my French, but it keeps happening over and over again. You think you know, you think it gets big media attention, and then you th you hope it's going to get quelled away, and nope, it's, it keeps rearing its ugly head. Uh, it's unfortunate, you know. Um, it's not. This is not, not nothing new for Montari. I know he he had the same effect when he was in Milan, is when he went to go play a Pro Patria. You know, who's like a fourth league, fourth division team, and same thing happened. And he, him and uh, Boateng, you know, walked off the pitch. So, um, you know, good on yeah, good on Montari for for leaving the pitch. And it sucks that the referee gave him a yellow card for that. Um, you just you just hope this this kind of stuff gets this gets put away. You know, either you know the F FIGC or or UEFA or somebody has to step in to put in bigger sanctions to these fans, not put lifetime bans in to stop this kind of nonsense. Yeah, don't do these pitty five euro, five, not five no. euro. Five, Definitely not five euro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I meant to say, I meant to say five thousand euro fine, and like that's not gonna, ha that's not gonna no. 
do anything. It's the same thing happened in the Rome derby. Antonio Rudiger, yes, yes. Um, he also had monkey chance. That's probably got more story to to it because something happened in the previous derby match in December with him and uh, Senna Lulic. Nothing happened to that because Lulic got suspended. But that his suspension covered the winter break. Um, something needs to happen with the FIGC because this needs to be sorted out. And I I agree with you, Rich. Fair play to Montari for walking off. <sighs> well, let's uh, let's move on to some relegation talk. You know, we talk about Pescara. They're they're definitely going to get relegated this season. Uh, even though they played, you know, attractive, well, I don't say attractive, but their games are entertaining because lots of goals are usually scored. Um, Empoli 1, Sassuolo 3. Federico Peluso opened the scoring, and Manuel Pucciarelli cancelled out the Sassuolo goal. But then an old name came up. Alessandro Mastri gave a Sassuolo the lead before halftime, and then Alfred Duncan showed up. Centrale verso Duncan, pensa alla conclusione! È un grandissimo gol! Quello di Duncan! 3-1 Sassuolo! That goal sealed the victory for the Nero Verdi. Scott, that was some goal there, huh? By Duncan. Oh, oh it was special, wasn't it? Left foot, bullet into the bottom corner. Couldn't, couldn't think of anything more brilliant to see on a Sunday evening. But um, a cracking result for uh, Sassuolo. And uh, it stopped the Empoli charge to go up higher in the league and hopefully give Crotone something to play for in the next four games. Yeah. So with that, with that, you know, loss, Crotone had to be licking their chops. You know, they're they're on a hot streak for themselves. You know, they've had some good results here lately. Um, so they traveled up to Milan, or actually Milan traveled down to Crotone uh, for a big encounter because you know here, you know here Empoli lose, they get an opportunity possibly to catch them. Well, score was Crotone 1, Milan 1. Marcello Trotta. Pallone in area, Trotta, vincere in pallo, Trotta! Marcello Trotta, il Crotone davanti, ha segnato il numero 29 per il terzo gol in campionato. He opened the scoring in the 8th minute. The hosts were looking to snatch all three points and get closer to Empoli. But in the 50th minute, a scramble in front of the net and Gabriel Paletta... Pulled the equalizer there to see both teams come away with a point. Crotone, with that draw, are now within four points of Empoli. The question I ask to you, Scott, can Crotone pull off the miraculous and catch Empoli and pass him for that last, uh, to get out of relegation? It's going to be tough. I know, I, I actually watched this game. I missed a couple of minutes. I actually missed Trotter's goal. Um, Trotter is well known here in the UK for missing a penalty kick for Brentford in <laughs> the last game of the season. I don't know if you've seen it, Richard, where he was playing for Brentford at the time. It was Brentford versus Doncaster in League One in the 2012-2013 season where... Brentford got a last-minute penalty. It was top versus second. He took the ball off the club captain and then smashed it against the crossbar. And then Doncaster went up the other end and scored. And won. I think they won the title that day and got promoted where Brentford finished third. And, yeah, that didn't go down very well. But he seems to be settled in quite nicely in Crotone. Um I've seen a bit of Crotone this season on the TV here in the UK. They actually play some good football. 
and some of the games they are actually quite unlucky like against Roma and against Juve they were pretty unlucky for about 60-70 minutes and then both Juve and Roma showed their killer touch and got the goals yeah. they needed but against Milan they they came at Milan and Milan looks a bit um, a bit how to scouter where they struggled against both Falcinelli and Trotter and they couldn't really deal with it Paletta just looked a bit lost but then Milan got that lucky goal in the second half where it came off Paletta's chest hit yeah. someone and, and like trickled in like Donnarumma had to pull off a couple of good saves in the first half but if Crotone keep playing like the way they, they're playing there's no no problem where they can catch up Empley it's only four points and Empley you know they've been a bit they've been a bit hit and miss they've been very badly hit and miss this season where sometimes they could play pretty well and then the next games where they, they're just god awful um yeah, why not? Cotone could pull off the great escape because literally about six, seven weeks ago, Empley were like yeah. 10 points clear. Yeah, now it's four points. They, now it's four points and like Empley had, I think it was about probably about eight weeks ago, Empley had more points. I think they had 19 points and both Pescara, Cotone and Palermo had the difference. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it's catching up now. Well, if you look at the next four games, right? So, Crotone, they have Pescara, Udinese, Juventus, and Lazio. Oh. I'm Empoli, on the other hand. They have Bologna, Cagliari, Atalanta, and Palermo. That that schedule seems to pro- go in favor of Empoli, but, you know, like we said, Crotone, they've tied Milan. They beat Inter Milan. Um, they've, they've got some good results here of late. I mean, if anyone could do it, I guess they can, huh? They can get anything out of the next two games because the last two games against Juve, Juve will probably have the title already sewed up by then, yeah. and Lazio will be gunning for for third to either to catch Napoli or to send them uh, for fourth place. But they could, as you said, that running does favour um, Empoli. Now, you know, you were talking about Milan. You know, anytime Zapata and Paletta are back there in defense, it's going to be a long night for a Milan fan. I know Frank feels the same way because I, I know when I saw that lineup again, I was like, come on, really? You couldn't find two better people? I mean, Frank and I could play defense better than those two guys. Um, it was always going to be a hard struggle. And it seems like both Milan clubs actually are – it seems like neither one wants to, to get this last Europa League spot. They're doing whatever they can to not get that spot, it seems. I don't know if it's intentional or just how poor they are. Um, you would think these two teams would be playing their best at this point, trying to catch, you know, or trying to secure that spot. And both are faltering at this time of year. It's, it's really dumbfounding. I, I can't understand. I'm scratching my head. It's a bit strange. It's like they don't want to play in Europe. Why not? Yeah, you get more it's, money. Yeah, you, you get to help out the coefficient as well in, uh, for Italy. I know they're getting an extra Champions League spot. It's been a bit of a weird season for both Milan clubs. I know the lineup today, Montana always seems to throw a bit of a spanner in the works. I know Milan are missing Romagnoli, who is miles, miles, miles better than both Paletta and Zapata together. Um, that's a big hole in the defence. And um, yeah, they're missing him badly because he. he He's a he's a good defender. I know 
he was a bit hot headed at Roma just because he wanted to go for me to Milan for thirty mil, and I know he's got a bit of an arrow, but you could see in him he's a very elegant and class defender. That's like if Antonio if Antonio Conte wants you, you, you know you're a good player. Yeah, but Montella does throw a spanner in the works. With a, I'm not a big fan of Locatelli. I know other Milan fans were praising him at the start of the season, but his game is flawed. He's, he's a bit he's hot. Yeah, yeah, he's only nine. Was it 18, 19? 18, 18, yeah. Yeah, but I'm a big fan of the two wingers, Suso and Delefeo. If uh, the new owners can sort out Donnarumma and then, then sort out Suso, they should be fine for next season because they have to spend big to to get back to the old ways. And it's funny because we we call Frank and I call them Milan Twitter. Uh, you know, with this all this new money that the Chinese owners are bringing in, everyone says, "Oh, buy these forwards, buy these forwards." You need help in defense. Romagnoli needs a dance partner. You know, he can't do it by himself. And when he gets injured, who are you gonna call? Zapata and Paletta again? No, they need they need to get they need to get a you know a defender if not a second one just in case, and then a, a defensive midfielder to help you know control the control the possession. Otherwise, otherwise buying a four does nothing because you still have the same problems as you do now. So, we'll see, yeah, what, the, you, we'll see what the new ownership group does. You have to when you buy a build a house, you have to start from the bottom. Exactly, build a foundation. Yeah, you build a foundation, but back from the back. And also, Milan have missed Bonaventura a lot this season. Yeah. He's the glue in the he's the glue in the midfield. It's at times early in the season when the team wasn't playing that well. The one person that kept kept them going forward was Jack Bonaventura. Um, and then when, when he went out with an injury, it seemed to... Well, Souza stepped up and he kind of filled that void, but you know he can't do what... Jack was just so con- consistent. And uh, they're definitely missing him. So, I mean, also Montalivo in respect. I mean, he's still there in, in, the, in the locker room presence, but um, while he didn't do much on the pitch, he's still, there, he's still the team captain. And, you know, anytime you have all kinds of injuries like Milan does, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect your, your impact. Yeah, and it was a bit of a bad injury for Montalivo. It was a six months. It was a it was a cruciate knee ligament, which yeah. is always going to hinder hinder your midfield. I know he's not the greatest of players, but he's he's someone who can do a job in that midfield. And when you lose a player like that, you you lose your way. <sighs> well, that's enough Milan because it's going to be depressed here. Uh, let's let's, <laughs> move, let's move on to uh, Genoa Kievo. Genoa one, Kievo two. 46-year-old Goran Pendev scored for Genoa in the 43rd minute. Uh, that he's a, he's an ageless wonder, huh? He keeps scoring no matter what. Just 46. Just 46. <laughs> yeah, I saw him when I saw it pop up earlier when he scored. I said, "Is he still playing? He's like the player you see in Serie A. He's, he's still around." He's a player but, your grandfather watched growing up. <laughs> I don't know if my grandfather watched Serie A, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's never it's never a bad result for Genoa. Did you see um, Ivan Juric in the press conference? I did not. What do you say? Um, I know um, they've been a bit struggling this season. They've been a bit. Their form has been horrid in the last what four months, where they've they completely just dropped the ball. And it, it, I think someone asked, "Are you scared for Syria being?" He, he said yes, and then he he left the. They left the press conference in tears. Hmm. Well, well, I mean, he obviously has a passion. He's got to get these guys to buy into his system. And I mean, they're obviously safe for Syria, but regardless, I mean, you know, the team that they have 
quality wise, you know, you know, with Simeone there and um, and the and the bunch, they they're very under they're underperforming. They're one of the poor performers of the season by far, for sure. Especially with what they are expected to do, and that's at least be mid table, and they're not even close to that right now. No, they could end up like another Palermo, which is quite scary. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully they don't have the same crazy owner like uh, Palermo did. Well, after that first goal by Goran Pandev, Samuel Bastian equalized in the 60th minute, and then Walter Birsa showed up. He scored the winner in the 70th minute to give Chievo the 2-1 victory. Um, Walter Bierce is having kind of a resurgence of a season. Uh, he found it seems like he's found a home here at Kievo. Yeah, he's the fulcrum for the attack. I know it didn't work out for him at Milan. I think expectations were a bit too high for him when he went there. But this move for, to Kievo in the last two years has been fantastic. And as you said, he's found a, a home which is suitable for him. And I saw the goal earlier. It's an absolute cracking diving header at the back post. Yeah, I had to watch that replay again because I, I couldn't believe that he got it with his head. And sure enough, yeah, he dove and bulleted it in. It's not with that wand of a left foot, though, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to go now talk about the shock of the weekend. That was Palermo 2, Fiorentina 0. That's right, Palermo won a match. Alessandro Diamante scored a fantastic free kick in the 30th minute. And as you were telling me off air, he didn't celebrate this goal. Though Fiorentina dominated possession, I think it was something like 76% to 24%, they still couldn't find a goal. Then this happened. Bruno Enrique, che lancia l'esami. L'esami, ancora l'esami! 2-0 Palermo! Partita chiusa! Haitam Alisami gave Palermo the 2-0 shock lead and victory. Clearly, La Viola were in a letdown mode after last week's 5-4 victory over Inter. What do you think about that kind of loss? Biscotto, biscotto, the biscuit, the biscuit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm joking. It's not that late in the season yet. He's still got a couple more weeks. (laughs) Um, No, that was was a bit of a shock. I I didn't see it coming. I know we talked off air, Richard. You didn't see that coming either. Um, Well, watching Fiorentina the last couple of weeks, they are pretty in possession, but they're not really... They play... In front of the defence, they don't play behind it, so it's quite easy for teams to defend it and and Palermo. I didn't actually see the game, I've only seen the goals, but I would imagine Palermo just soaked it all up and then, especially with the second goal, I've seen that and just hit him on the counter. Yeah. Um, But with the first goal, it's an absolutely fantastic free kick from Diamante. Um, Wand of a left foot, fantastic player, a player who you would want in your side who can lift you. And he didn't celebrate because it's against his former side. And it was just an, an absolute crucial win for Palermo because I know they are struggling and they're probably almost down. It's just a bit of a confidence booster. Well, at this point, anytime Diamante scores, it seems like he's played for every team in, in, the, in the world. So he's not going to celebrate anymore, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like Giladino. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, that'll wrap up match week 34. We're going to talk real quick now about the Champions League preview for leg one. All right, we got a big game coming up this uh, Wednesday. 
It's uh, Juventus traveling to Monaco um, for leg one. So, you know, Frank you know, Frank and I were talking about this matchup last week, and Frank thinks it's going to be a 1-1 draw. I'm going to go with actually a 2-1 victory for Monaco. How do you see the first leg going? I could see it. It's going to be tense. Monaco have been fantastic this season. They've they've been a breath air, a breath of fresh air. Sorry, um, in uh, in league uh, in this season and in the Champions League, where they play this exciting brand of attacking football. Um, I could I could see it being quite tense. I could see a one one goal one. Actually, I could see it being a one nil victory for Monaco, which is probably not the most bad result for Juve because they know what they have to do in the second leg and score. But this is going to be a very, very interesting game to see because uh, Allegri has changed his tactics in the last six or seven games where he's tried to fit all three of his big stars into one formation. Yeah. And then Monaco, Monaco just played this attack in 4-4-2 where they've got Kylian Mbappe with uh, Falcao up front and they've been good scoring goals for fun. It, I, I'll be watching and I cannot wait. It's going to be curious because, you know... I. I I mean, a one a one zero loss for Juventus would not be the worst result in the world. But any Serie A fan or Juventus fan would say, you know, they want to get at least get an away goal because it'll help tremendously. Um, the question is, you know, how are Monaco going to attack them? Because Monaco are a very attacking team. But now you're in the semifinals of the Champions League. Are you going to play the same way that the way they got you there, or are you going to be play conservative? If they play conservative, that's going to play right into Juventus's hands. Um, even if the you know. Monaco play where they normally play. Juventus have the defenders to take care of that, but Monaco are very, very they're they're dynamic, and they can score seems from by anybody. They have such talent around their whole team. Um, it'll definitely be interesting to see what happens in this first leg. I know I'll be watching. I know Scott will too. So uh, we'll have to tune in next week to see how uh, how that game pans out. Now let's talk real briefly about match week 35. Uh, where there's two big games that I want to talk about. We got the Turin Derby. Uh, you got Juventus versus Torino, and you got Milan versus Roma. Let's talk about Juventus Torino. There, it's gonna be. Uh, do you think Torino can finally beat Juventus at home? Can anybody beat Juventus at home? Uh, not in Serie A. I don't. Juventus is home in the J Stadium. It's just fortress. It, I was going to say it's like Undertaker at WrestleMania, but that streak <laughs> is over. <laughs> That's right. Um, no, just Juventus is uh, in Serie A. They're just like a well-oiled machine. It's just like they're just unbeatable at home, and just in general, they're they're such a well-oiled machine. And just uh, it's as a as a Roma fan and as you're as a Milan fan, it's quite depressing to see them win another title and it'll be another title and it'll be another title it's like Manchester United in the 90s here in, in the Premier League um, I, I can only see one victory and it's a Juve win Torino had the chance a couple of years ago but they were done in the last minute thanks yeah, to Juan Pirlo. thanks to Pirlo and Juan Quadrado in the same season but no Ju, Juve sold like their best player but they just rebuild again and again all you can see is a Juve win well, it's safe to say I think you think that uh, Belotti will not score again, so that would make it three games in a row. What, so what would what would Torino have to do to at least get a draw out of this? Obviously, play, obviously everyone has to be a 10. Yeah, they have to be on from minute one, and I cannot see that with Torino. 
like I watched the game Saturday and they they struggled against Sampdoria. And if they play against Juventus, actually, if they play like they did in the first half against Juventus, they'll be blown away about three or four nil. Joe Hart will be getting a bad back, picking the ball out of the net. He'll be on a flight back to Manchester. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'd be, you'd be doing that anywhere at the end of May. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's another story. <laughs> All right, so you think Juventus are going to win that game? Um, I too, I do as well. Um, it's just Juventus are too good at the J Stadium. If it was in Torino, I'd probably say the same thing anyway. <laughs> same same thing happened earlier in the season. I know Belotti scored early, but yeah. then Higuain just got on in the mood and he. He just needs one chance, and it's just it's in the back of the net. It's so clinical. Yeah. So let's talk about Milan versus Roma then. It's you versus me here. What do you see the results out of this one? Do you think Roma can get the points they need to you know, pull away from Napoli, or is this going to be a little bit of a struggle for them? I hope so. Um, in the return fixture at Christmas, Roma scraped to a 1-0 win thanks to Roger Nangalan. Yeah. And plus, in Bayern, who's now at Watford, missed a penalty. It, to be honest, it was a, a, a poor penalty, and Chesney done well to save it. But Roma need to improve, and if they play like they did today, Milan will have a field day. Um, I just hope they go in the right mentality, and Spalletti picks the right formation and the right team to play on the day, and it really shouldn't be a problem. Because last season, in the final game of the season, Roma played this exciting brand of football on the final day and just tore Milan to shreds. Salah was fantastic that day and I just hopefully hopefully sees it again, but I could probably see a draw. You know, I don't know. Milan, they've been so up and down, especially in this last month or so. I don't know what to expect, really. I mean, if you're going to have Paletta and Zapata back there, I, I could see very easily Roma scoring at least two goals. And I don't know if Milan can actually score two goals himself. Um, they're going to need, you know, Suzo to be pulling the strings and either find De La Feu or, or Baca or Lapadillo, whoever's up there, uh, maybe get an off bounce here or there. But, you know, and, you know, Jacko's got to be chomping the bit. He hasn't scored in a, in a couple games now. Um, and he wants that Capo Canieri title. I actually see, you know, Roma coming away with victory in this. It's going to be, they're going to get at least two goals, I think. I'm going to go ahead and say it's going to be 3-1 for Roma. Oh, you're not confident, so can I change it or say for 3-1 Roma? (laughs) (laughs) If you you like. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if they played like they did at the San Sero last season, they've got no problem. But if they played like they did today, then it'd be playing into Milan's hands. I only say that because Roma in Milan right now, they can't even beat Empoli. You know, they're they're struggling. And yes, it's a different animal because they're in a relegation battle, but... I don't know. I just I'm not confident with Zapata and, and Paleta back there. It's it's scary. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Them two are just like it's very clumsy. Both of them very clumsy in defense. The only thing missing is, is both of them running into each other, knocking each other clear. <laughs> or Ala Pjanic and Nick Steiner. Oh, that'd be fantastic if that happened Sunday and it led to a Jacko goal. <laughs> <laughs> For me, not for you. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, well, I think that's going to wrap up this uh, Serie sit-down on that note. Um, we're going to do a little Twitter check. Scott, where can we find you? Or where can other people find you? It's at 
Scott underscore Munro. Scott is with one T and Munro is M-U-N-R-O-E. Very good. And when his uh, next articles come out, we'll be sure to obviously read them, but we'll also share with the rest of you guys so you can check it out too. I'm sure they're going to be fantastic reads. Um, as always, you know, if you have any questions or comments or you want to if you want to follow along or joke along with us, you know, at Syria, sit down on Twitter as well as on Instagram. You can find me at R underscore Carmen. We also like to thank Lega Syria for the highlights. Oh, as always, tell your paisans about us. Ciao.